agenda, civilian oversight of the Alexandria Police Department. What would it look like to make this thing successful so that all people can feel safe and valued and treated with respect in our community? We're joined by former Alexandria Police Chief David Baker. Systemic racism is a citywide issue that needs to be addressed in part through what the police department does and oversight of the police department, but it's not just the police department. And Alexandria Gazette Packet editor Mary Kim. The systemic racism that underpins the conflict between the community and the police is real. We talk about whether the new Civilian Review Board should have subpoena power. If you don't go forward by giving this Civilian Review Panel real teeth, you are going to erode the confidence that residents have in it. Could that mean that, you know, they would have the ability to demote an officer or even fire an officer? I actually think the discipline should remain with the chief of police and that the discipline imposed should be made public. All that and a whole lot more on this episode of On On the Agenda. Agenda. This program of Agenda Alexandria is made possible by the generous contributions of Homes of Alexandria, Simpson Development, and the Zebra Newspaper. Additional funding is made possible by our generous sustaining contributors and members like you. Thank you. Welcome to On the Agenda, the podcast version of Agenda Alexandria. I'm Michael Pope. And I'm Aaliyah Gaskins. On the Agenda today... We are discussing the proposed Civilian Review Board for the Alexandria Police Department. The questions before us are, how will it work? What kind of power should it have? What kind of people should serve on it? And I'm really excited because we have a great panel to help us dig into this issue further. We're going to examine the issues, but true to Agenda Alexandria fashion, we're not going to take sides. So today we're joined by the former Alexandria Chief of Police, David Baker. David, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. And we're also joined by the editor of the Alexandria Gazette Packet and publisher of Connection Newspapers, who was also part of an effort to create a similar citizen review board in Fairfax County. Mary Kim, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. So why don't we go ahead and dive in? I think um, I'd love to start with just setting a little context about why are we even having this discussion? Why do we need a civilian review board? And so over the summer, I think many of us are aware that the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis prompted a national discussion as well as protests around police brutality and systemic racism in our country. And these issues aren't immune to Alexandria, and so we can't be immune to having this discussion. I think when Michael and I were looking at the data, we found that most of the arrests in Alexandria are of Black people. Most times, force is used, and it's against a Black person. Most drug arrests are of Black people, particularly Black men. And almost half of the inmates in Alexandria's jail are Black people. And so it's these racial inequities that are at the heart of why we're having this conversation and why the city is even considering the concept of civilian review. You know, it's our understanding that it's an attempt for the people who are being policed to really have some sort of agency and say over over the process. And so when Agenda Alexandria took up the issue earlier this year in October, our guest Ingress Moran from the Tenants and Workers United, she made the case by saying that a civilian review board with strong investigatory power was needed. 
there should be subpoena, there should be investigative power, there should be civilian oversight, where are people who are more prone to be policed to be in these conversations and take a role in that. And so I guess we want to dive in. We want to explore that more. So David, do you think that people who are disproportionately policed should have oversight or agency over the police who are responsible for policing them in the communities in which they live? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not um, I'm not on and never have been against civilian oversight because I think there's some advantages in terms of allowing for more transparency and dialogue and, and that builds relationships with the police. I suppose what I am concerned about is how quickly this unfolded. Uh, the George Floyd case was another national tipping point. Uh, I mean, it was a crime. I, he, he was murdered. And there have been tipping points prior to George Floyd and then after. And so I, I, I've said before that I, it, it, it startles me that these things keep happening. But I guess my issue is the speed with which this came out about two weeks after the Floyd case, and I know that there was a, a lot of emotion at that time, as you would expect. Uh, I was emotional about it, uh, and so was everybody else. And the resolution from the council, 2950, I thought was really, really good. Um, and I just noted at the in the middle of that, of that uh, resolution, they had a lot of things that they wanted to put in there, like body cameras and meaningful laws to prohibit the militarization of the police and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that's a good start. So my, my issue uh, then is how do you construct a process that is unique to Alexandria and Alexandria's issues and one that works? That's, that's an excellent point. And I want to say that uh, we started the whole process in Fairfax County about five years ago, so ahead of George Floyd, when there was a death of a man in Fairfax County shot by the police standing in the front door to his own home, he was unarmed. And the police really just sat on the case for a long, long time. There was no information about it. And as a result of that, Sharon Bulova, who was the chairman of the Board of Supervisors at the time, created the Ad Hoc Police Practices Review Commission, which turned out to be 40 people plus almost 40 more on, you know, serving in ancillary functions. So way too big to actually get anything done, except that it did get a lot done. And Civilian oversight was one, oversight in general was one aspect of the overall considerations about police reform. And it arrived out of this community process where many, many ideas came to the table. But one area that I think is important so that, you know, it would be very important for police not to take this personally is that. I came to see that every community should have civilian review of law enforcement. And not only do they need it, but every community might need something different. And so a broader conversation in Alexandria about what is needed is important. The other question for doing civilian oversight is to recognize that no, if you've been successful, no one should be happy with what you've developed, that the police are not going to appreciate civilian review, that 
whatever limits there are to the power of the civilian panel will make activists upset. But there is a place in between where people have enough say that it can be successful and it it will start out with huge bumps no matter what you do. So buckle your seatbelts. Buckle your seatbelts. Well, let's talk about the different models that we're considering here in Alexandria. So one of the panelists we had on our Agenda Alexandria panel was the city's legislative director, Sarah Taylor. She's the one sort of on the staff side who's overseeing this development of the different models and the different approaches. And uh, when she spoke on the Agenda Alexandria panel, she laid out several different models. I want to play some audio from her. This will last about a minute where she lays out all the different kind of models that Alexandria is currently considering. The first model is an investigative model where the board would take a complaint, conduct their own investigation and render a conclusion. The second model is a peer review model where the board reviews completed police internal affairs investigations. So investigations that are already done by the police department, once they're completed, the board would then review them and offering their their recommendations regarding the findings and the outcomes of the internal investigation. The third model is an auditing model where a board would examine sort of broader patterns when it comes to complaints and investigations, including patterns in the quality investigations, the findings, the outcomes outcomes, the discipline, and would then make recommendations based on those sort of broader findings of the system rather than the individual investigations. Um, And the final model is, is sort of that squishy hybrid model where parts and pieces of each of these, the investigative model, the review model, the auditing model would be brought together in a combination that would be unique to the community that's looking to implement it in order to achieve that balance of those three roles. Mary Kim, what kind of model did Fairfax County end up with and what do you think might be appropriate here in Alexandria? Well, it's interesting that in Fairfax County at the time, Fairfax County definitely does not have the powers of a city. And the General Assembly was controlled by Republicans at the time and hostile to the idea of giving power to civilians over police. So we had to work with in the uh, parameters of what we could actually do without going to the General Assembly for changes. So it's got a lot of legal advice and what we could and couldn't do. And at the time, it was prohibited for anyone, not the police, to investigate the police. So it was, was illegal for us to form a board that wasn't specifically elected to do this, to investigate police action. Uh, So we ended up doing an investigative model where the police took control of the investigation and that the uh, civilian review panel reviewed the investigation by the police. But it also allowed they were also allowed to call witnesses to hear from people with complaints, to hear from people who were unhappy with the outcome of the investigation And they were also allowed to ask the police to do more investigation, to say, well, we heard from this and this witness, and you didn't. So would you please go back and reinvestigate? I think that the idea, if you're going to have two concurrent investigators, you know, one from the panel and one from the police investigating particular claims of misconduct, that's going to be pretty confusing. Um, in our case, we were we just followed down the path that we could go given the current legal status. 
Also, it's important to know that in Fairfax County, we established a two-prong oversight so that there is an independent police auditor who investigates more serious crimes and has he embeds with the investigation rather than doing his own investigation, but he embeds with the investigators as they go along. And the, the you know, allegations of police misconduct go to the panel so that it's a different level of investigation. I think the biggest lesson from Fairfax County is that the panel needs more staffing, that they need enough staffing. There's a tremendous amount of uh, paperwork and follow-up and interaction with the public that, that needs, it probably needs an executive director and can't be just run by a a volunteer panel. Mary, in Fairfax, were there specific cases that were that automatically triggered a review board review? Any use of force went to the police auditor, but the anything went to the panel any time that anyone was unhappy with the outcome of the police investigation. Or any time, but or any time somebody came directly to the panel with a complaint, so you know it was complaint based. It is complaint based. So not specific categories. The reason I raise that is that um, when DC, I was in DC from 1970 to 1991, and in 1980 they created a civilian complaint review board and outlawed the police department from investigating certain offenses. Um, Use of force, demeaning language, things like that, um, and and I'm I'm piggybacking on your point about staffing and funding and all of that kind of stuff. The Civilian Review Board in D.C. at that time uh, it folded in 1995, but one of the biggest problems was it was understaffed, underfunded, and got so behind in cases that by the time it folded, uh, most of the cases that they were supposed to investigate over the 15-year period never got investigated, and officers who were subject to their investigation remained on the street. So uh, I, I raise that uh, only as a, as a bit of history that when you go into these things, as you pointed out, Mary, you, you really got to go in with your eyes wide open because the, the question I always have is, you know, what do you want oversight to look like? What do you want it to be? And, and, and more importantly, what do you want it not to be? Because I've seen these things, uh, uh, especially when I was an assessor for the Commission on Accreditation and Law Enforcement, that people go into them with different expectations. The community has an expectation. The police have an expectation. The politicians have an expectation. And oftentimes they're different. And so at the end of the day, uh, those expectations, either one or all of them, uh, are not met. So, David, I want to lean into that a little bit because I think, you know, you're raising a really good point. There are things we can learn from D.C. There are things we can learn from Fairfax County. But at the end of the day, you know, every community has, I want to go back to the language you used before, has its tipping points and has its issues that are specific to its community. And so we have to really figure out what is the right model for Alexandria. And so given your, you know, experiences, I'd be really curious, you know, you started to tee up some questions we should be thinking about, but what are some of those other considerations that we should be thinking about and reflecting on as we figure out the right model for our city? 
Well, I mean, I think there needs to be some agreement on what the real issues are. I mean, Alexandria is not Minneapolis for a number of reasons. We can talk about that later. But I did get your broader point that there is concern in the community, and you've looked at the data about arrests and of people of color and incarceration and those kinds of things. The question then is, what kind of review will speak to that issue? Because when I look at some of the arrest data and all of that kind of stuff, uh, probably not as close as you, I don't see Alexandria as a department that has almost unbridled use of force. Um, they, they don't have they don't have some of the issues that give rise almost immediately to civilian review. Well, the you know you I think you have to understand that the systemic racism that underpins the conflict between the community and the and the police is real. This is this is real powerful stuff that affects the quality of life for huge numbers of people in our communities including in Alexandria. The numbers are not right. And that is true in most police forces. And I think when you talk to police officers about it, they don't believe that the numbers are what they are because of racism. And because of that, it's important. I I don't know that civilian review is going to be the answer for this, that a much larger approach to systemic racism and how it comes to live in in police forces in general and Alexandria specifically is required and that civilian review will be able to look at some specific cases and examples of it, but it won't get to the underpinnings. Mary, I think you said it better than I do. I, I, I don't dispute um, anything that you just said. Um, my, my, my question or my thought thinking out loud was, how can civilian review start to pierce some of those those disparities that you're talking about? Because civilian review in its early stages really spoke to excessive use of force and lack of transparency and some of the things you talked about with the case in Fairfax and why that case was the tipping point that created civilian review. The second part, which is systemic racism, is certainly something that should be the focus I'm just not sure that a civilian complaint review board by itself will take care of that. But as you said, I do agree that portions of that need to be addressed via some sort of civilian review. Did that make sense? Yeah, it's the. I think it's the specific examples that can help people think tangibly about the way systemic racism impacts the lives of people in Alexandria. Those specific examples are going to come before the civilian review panel. And it'll be important for there to be ways to talk about them and to let people tell their experience. But those that will in some ways be inflammatory. I mean, it's, it's important, it's critical. But the process by which you have you know, restorative justice or you start to have the unfolding of, of dismantling the systemic racism, that's a huge problem project that has to be a major focus of what the whole city does and not just the civilian review panel. Okay. I, I, I agree. Um, but we, we've come full circle because the, 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 the overriding issue that Leah and Michael talked about at the opening of the show was that really the, the systemic, what appears to be systemic racism issue. And so I think, 
I think we're talking really kind of two things. And, and systemic racism is a citywide issue that needs to be addressed in part uh, through through what the police department does and oversight of the police department. But it's not just police department. So I, I get you. But the police are the only people in Alexandria who are authorized to kill you if right. something goes awry. So that mm-hmm. that that makes the uh, onus on the police responding to this sort of situation more important, more specific. Yeah, I understand. The other question I have about Alexandria starting with these three proposals is where these three ideas came from. I don't really quite understand them. There is a national organization called NACOL, a National Association of Civilian Review of Law Enforcement. They were tremendously helpful to Fairfax County in getting started. Um, and they have a bunch of best practices and, you know, looks at different civilian review panels and what worked and what didn't and what, you know, different circumstances. And I would still urge some research before settling on a specific model of civilian review panel. So I think you're both getting at this good point of like, what is it actually going to take to make this thing successful? Recognizing that there's a lot more work we need to do, and this is only one piece of the puzzle to even beginning the conversation around systemic racism, but taking action. And so I'm wondering, you know, if we think about, you know, this new board and we start to explore the models deeper, what kind of power should it have? You know, um, in our conversation in October, there were many people who were pushing for it to have subpoena power. One of the panelists, um, Ingress again, this is what she had to say about the powers the panel should have. I think this is a great opportunity to see the city of Alexandria really have something that does indeed have civilian oversight, have subpoena power, really have that investigative authority, um, because I think that's what our community is really looking forward to and seeing how we can improve that trust. And by trust, it means holding each other accountable. But Michael Brown had shared that in terms of subpoena power, he thought it might actually cause more problems. This is what he had to say. If you issue a subpoena to somebody, they can evoke their Fifth Amendment right. And when you do that, you sometimes run into all sorts of legal and constitutional issues. Now, if the folks that set up an independent review are able to understand that and not step on those, we may not jeopardize situations where we have discipline. We may not jeopardize potential of any kind of a criminal prosecution. That's my concern about the investigative piece. So Mary Kim, if we stick on this point of what's going to make this thing successful and do what we want it to do, you know, should the new board have subpoena power? And what are the possible pitfalls if it is granted that power? The civilian review panel should definitely have the ability to compel the police to come and answer to what it is that is going on um, in any particular complaint. I, I will say that we spent hours and weeks on the conflict with uh, uh, Supreme Court cases, Garrity, for instance, and Virginia has a police officer's bill of rights, which was not affected by any of the legislation that went through the General Assembly this year. And those things are tremendously complicating factors. 
So it's fine for them to have subpoena power. I think that you have to give the panel real power. But I think that a lot of what happens, if you're going to actually make progress, rather than trying to punish a particular officer, you're trying to make progress in the way that the police treat citizens in and residents in Alexandria, that you have to have an expectation of cooperation on all sides and an expectation that if all else fails, the chief of police and the investigator will come forward in order to prevent the officer from taking the Fifth Amendment so that they can move forward with the investigation. But the basic expectation of cooperation is going to be so important. I think Mary's point is, is is really well taken. I wonder whether coming out of the block with subpoena power is the right approach. Opting opting instead to do go with something to see how the cooperation level is, and leaning on the department's leadership in internal affairs uh, initially. I'm not saying at the end you would not have subpoena power, but uh, I'm just wondering if that's if that's the best starting point. Because what happens if you have good cooperation? Well, one of the potential downsides to subpoena power is how it might look, what the optics might be for a city agency to demand documents or testimony from citizens. So, you know, forcing a police officer to participate in an investigation is one thing, but subpoena power could also mean forcing citizens to hand over documents or show up and testify in a hearing. Here's Sarah Taylor talking about how that might work. It could be used to subpoena somebody's ring camera. It could be used to compel somebody's Facebook page or their phone records or things like that. So that's the thing about subpoena power that has to be looked at in the balance of what is it that you are hoping to achieve with that subpoena power and can you achieve it without it? So assuming Alexandria's oversight board does, in fact, have some kind of subpoena power to ask for footage from a ring camera or Facebook private messages... There are more issues to consider. Here's Sarah Taylor on how it works in other cities. Most oversight bodies that have subpoena power, including places like Berkeley and San Francisco, are actually prohibited from undertaking any investigation until the, any pending criminal charges against an officer have been adjudicated or unless they receive permission from their district attorney or the, in our case, our Commonwealth's attorney to proceed with the investigation. David Baker how would a board with subpoena power change things in Alexandria? Well, I, you know, it's, it's a good question. I, I'm not sure I have the right answer. I think you hit on one aspect of it, and that is subpoena power for some folks who are not involved in the criminal justice system has a very, very negative kind of frightening connotation. Um, I think it's fair to say that it could have a chilling effect on the community in terms of what we just heard. I think it'll have a chilling effect on the department. I think Michael Brown is right about some of the things that get in the way. And Mary Kim actually had a longer list of the complications. So I'm fearful of it at the outset. I'm not fearful of it as a system develops and as you kind of exercise it and you see where you've got gaps. But it just concerns me at the outset for for those reasons. Um, And then when you subpoena documents and because of freedom of information laws in Virginia, you know, some of those documents are redacted and you don't get the information that you need. There's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of complication that, um, that, sh- that you'll get with that as far as I'm concerned. 
Well, police are clearly worried about complications. And when the Alexandria City Council very first raised the issue over the summer, Michael Brown said the idea of a review board had what he said a very negative connotation. That's what he told the city council members. And he called the new review board a threatening title, but the title itself was threatening. Now, uh, when Chief Brown appeared on Agenda Alexandria panel, we asked him about those comments to the city council. And this is how he explained the police department's view on how we talk about the new board. Words matter in the law enforcement business, just like they matter in the discussions of things like race. And so uh, it's not that we're afraid of oversight. We've had oversight. We will continue to have oversight. And how it's constructed is really not the police department's role. It's just we have to be able to, as Sir Robert Peel said, we are, we are the public and the public are us. David Baker, why does the concept of a review board have such a negative connotation among police officers? Well, I think because there there is a lot of misunderstanding um, and um, misunderstanding about what they what they do, what they mean. They look at the, um, uh, these processes in other jurisdictions, and um, I just think it's a lack of lack of understanding about the contours of what might end up being a review board in in Alexandria. I mean, I think Mike is right. I think titles do matter. I think the contours of how the thing, how the review board is established, and and the clarity with which it's established, and 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 the expectations that that folks want to get out of this, I think are are probably more important. Um, but I, I do think that it's a lack of understanding of what the purpose is. And, and the other thing I'll, I'll mention is that the world's a different place right now. I mean, there's a lot of unrest, and there's a, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the political climate. There's a lot of things going on in communities across the country. Police and other public safety people are in the middle of it. And so I think part of that comes forward, too, is, um, you know, first responders are under, under the microscope in a lot of ways. And I think they're fearful. And I think that's part of it. I don't know if that's all of it, but um, I don't know if, pl- if police officers in general have an understanding of review and they're afraid of it because there's so many different pieces and so many different processes. And I think they're fearful and I think that they uh, believe at this moment they're probably underappreciated in Alexandria because of some of the things that they have done uh, in terms of police services in the city. I'm, you know, I am concerned about the police response to oversight because I think part of it is uh, initiated by a belief that they don't really believe they should answer to anyone but the chain of command. And that it is often the case that a group of police officers or particular police force will seem to act without understanding that they answer to the citizens, they answer to the residents of the community that they serve. And that some sort of oversight by that community is natural. It's appropriate. It's a question of working out the details. But there does need to be civilian oversight in every major community, in every community that deals with any issues that involve law enforcement. There has to be a process. The uh, police are not used to that. And also, to say that police are unappreciated in Alexandria, I think, discounts tremendous, you know, acts of appreciation that 
residents and groups take to show their support of the police and of the uh, fire department, of public public safety people overall in the city, I think that they're very well regarded. And in Alexandria, part of the reason that this can work is that the problems are not as huge as they are other places. There's There are definite problems, but they aren't of the magnitude of Minneapolis or Chicago yeah. or the things that we saw on video during the protests. I mean, the number of cases right. of police misconduct that were available on video during the protests was, it was mind boggling. And we don't have that here in general, but there has to be oversight. Yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't disagree with you, Mary. I mean, I, we do have a very supportive community. The city council is generous in how they fund public safety. My point though, and maybe I didn't say it correctly. My point was, is that that the world is different and they're in the middle of a lot of unrest. And, and as you said, that you saw the demonstrations, you see the backlash from really horrible incidents that go on in other jurisdictions like the Floyd case. And that's not the only one. And, 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 you know, when you kind of pile those things on, it kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. So I'm not suggesting that Alexandria, the community is not supportive. They certainly are, but, there's a lot of things going on. I think you would agree. And we aren't the only ones having this conversation. You know, the recent legislation passed by the General Assembly and signed by the governor actually gives Alexandria the legal authority for a citizen review board to have final disciplinary authority. And so these questions around who do police report to and what is the community's role in overseeing that? Could that mean that, you know, they would have the ability to demote an officer or even fire an officer? So these are real questions happening, not just in our community, but across the state and in many other places. And I do want to have us play a quick clip from Ingress from our earlier panel, because one of the things she raised was that our citizen review board should seriously have the ability to fire bad cops. We're always in, in spaces and conversations where we're just being heard, but nothing is happening after that, right? Like we want action steps. And I think this is a good opportunity to have um, transparency to be shown, to have true conversations and true practices and results and, and our people be part of it and our communities of color be in these conversations and have the authority. So I'd love to get reactions from both of you. I think, Mary, you've raised some really good points about how we need to do a better job of listening to residents and the community. And so I'm just curious your reactions to what Ingra shared or the legislation that was recently passed. And then we'll go to David. I think that it's very important for the community to feel empowered by the establishment of the civilian review panel. I also know that the uh, advocates will be unhappy if we fail to enact any of the powers that the General Assembly have made possible. In Fairfax County, I know that the panel, and I, you know, I haven't spoken to all of them about it, but the panel is not interested in adding all of those powers. But I do think that there are some messy stuff coming between what's been authorized in this particular legislation and other legislation that might conflict with it. And it's going to have to be a process. We're going to have to wade into it and figure out where the boundaries of different things are, and it's going to make some people unhappy. But I think forums where the police chief and the city council and the mayor 
listen to the stories that people have to tell about their interactions with police, storytelling is going to be a huge part of how we form a way forward to undo some of the damage. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the conversation piece, uh, continuous conversation piece is really important. I mean, if you look at this issue, for example, the city council and the police department are talking through the press to each other. And I think having a forum where people can talk openly and freely about what's going on and it involves all the stakeholders is a is a good thing. However, that however that's embedded into the process, it's a good thing. Um, I will I will want to make a quick comment about um, Mary. Something you said about you know the police are not used to oversight or they're suspicious of oversight or what have you. But I, I'm I'm wondering if you would agree that there is a, a fairly substantial amount of oversight in Alexandria when it comes to serious use of force cases or uh, officer-involved shootings, things like that. Because it's been my experience that there's oversight by the Commonwealth Attorney's Office in a separate investigation. Uh, The FBI, Civil Rights Division, usually gets involved in these cases. State police usually investigate Alexandria cases like this. So I got your point earlier, but I'm I'm not sure that it's completely uh, a fear or resentment against oversight. I I think it's a fear of of what they think a civilian complaint review board is. Uh, And so this lack of understanding, I think if part of the education process can include the police, as well as the community and all the stakeholders, I think that would be helpful in terms of demonstrating what's in it good for the police as well as the community. I think that would be helpful. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And there's to have better relationships and relationships with possible consequences with the community is a huge benefit to the police. It makes policing easier. I will say that the Commonwealth Attorney's Office oversight is expected, that oversight from other law enforcement is expected, and that the reaction is to civilian oversight. And the belief, the the sometimes ingrained belief with some police officers that civilians really don't have enough knowledge to judge their actions. And I think that that is incorrect and part of the the difficulty that lies ahead. Mm -hmm. Mary, I'd love your thoughts on who should serve on the review board, because I think there's been some back and forth about, you know, the knowledge people bring. I think there are some camps that would argue, you know, it should be somebody who maybe has former police experience or they've served on certain types of boards or they have a particular perspective. But then there's also many advocates who are saying, you know, it should just be community members. Like, do you have to have a certain amount of qualifications to be here? Or could your qualification just be that you live here and you've had experiences with the police? And so I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on who should serve on such a board. It's an excellent idea to have a broad range of experiences on the board that there should be some liaison to the police department, that there are times when civilians don't understand police policy and they need it explained, but that person should not be a voting member of the civilian review panel. In Fairfax, I think they allowed one former law enforcement and no one who served in Fairfax County law enforcement to be on the panel. And I think that's important. Now, we did end up with some former and future prosecutors. 
and uh, lawyers, but it was, you know, it was a very thoughtful, qualified group of people. And I think that there were, you know, 150 applicants for the, and now I can't even remember the number of slots, a dozen maybe. And uh, so, yes, mostly it has to be community members. There might be community members with different kinds of experience, but mostly it has to be community members. Law enforcement should not have a powerful role on the board. Now, Mary Kim mentioned something earlier I want to circle back around to, which is the complicating factor here of Garrity rights, which uh, protect public employees from being compelled to incriminate themselves during an investigation. So this is actually something Chief Brown raised in our Agenda Alexandria panel discussion, and this is how he talked about it. If you get into situations that you violate Garrity rules and, or other kinds of rules related to collective bargaining, where you can't get the facts of a case because of people doing it the wrong way, you may not be able to do criminal prosecution and the like. David Baker, explain how Garrity rights might complicate the Civilian Review Board here in Alexandria. Well, for, for those that don't know what, what Garrity is, um, if, the, if an inquiry is administrative or disciplinary, uh, the Garrity warning is commonly given and police officers who are interviewed in a disciplinary setting should be warned that they are under investigation for departmental rules and that they are obligated to give statements for internal purposes and that these answers may not, may not be used against them in a criminal proceeding. So that's Garrity, meaning that in an administrative or disciplinary process, you must answer. Um, there's also something called reverse garrity. That happens if the inquiry is criminal, but the officer is not under arrest. The reverse garrity warning is given. It's more appropriate. And it's a voluntary statement because the officer is not in custody and not under arrest. And this statement can be used in a criminal proceeding. So it really boils down to whether you have an administrative or disciplinary process going on versus an inquiry into a criminal offense for which the officer is not arrested. And so the Garrity protection would have to be built into this process. And maybe Mary can speak to it, how they dealt with that in Fairfax in their process. But you've got to consider both the Garrity and reverse Garrity built into the process. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask Mary Kim that same question, which is when Fairfax County was discussing standing their civilian review board up, was there a concern that any sort of civilian investigation might undermine a criminal investigation? There were questions about that. And again, this was before the General Assembly empowered civilian review panels with subpoena power or really anything. Our legal advice was the panel was not going to have investigative power either. So it was dependent on the investigation conducted by the Fairfax County Internal Affairs, which everybody involved had a lot of confidence in, I'll say, although maybe not not everybody, but most of everybody involved had a fair amount of confidence in the investigation. But because of that, the panel did not subpoena, never has never subpoenaed particular officers to come and answer. What they have is the investigator from IAB and the police chief come to the panel to talk about the investigation and what the investigation revealed did and didn't happen. In that way, the officer is never called to come and speak in front of the board. 
And so this is a different concept than I think many people have in mind for the Alexandria panel. So, so they avoided the Garrity problem altogether. They did. Absolutely. It was part of the, the, they understood that in order to function, they had to find a way to address the particular concerns and the particular complaints without wading into constitutional and officer's bill of rights and Garrity and a handful of other things that could complicate things tremendously. So that's how it would affect it, Michael. You might, might raise constitutional issues if it's not applied properly by a civilian review board. But I, I like what Mary said. If you can avoid it and avoid it properly, uh, that's a good remedy. All right. We could go on and on about this. We should probably wrap this up sometime soon. But I do want to end this by putting you both on the spot <laughs> and asking you about uh, how you think Alexandria should go about putting together this panel, specifically on two issues, the two thorniest issues, which is this. Should it have subpoena power and should it have disciplinary authority? So should it have the power to subpoena Facebook private messages or ring camera footage from citizens, not officers necessarily, although that's an important part of it, but just regular citizens. Should this new board have the power to subpoena documents and witness testimony and that sort of thing? And then also final disciplinary authority, like should this civilian review board be able to demote an officer who's found to have engaged in wrongdoing? Should this civilian review board have the ability to fire an officer who has been found to be engaged in wrongdoing? So I'm going to put you both on the spot here. Uh, Mary Kim, you first. Subpoena power and disciplinary authority. Sure. Uh, Both of them are fraught. But if you don't go forward with by giving this civilian review panel real teeth, you are going to erode the confidence that uh, residents have in it, that the community has in it. So, you know, subpoena power, but I would say that there should be a long discussion about parameters, you know, who can be subpoenaed when, what would be revealed, et cetera, that those are, those are questions that really have to be it, it, it isn't a blanket subpoena power. Nobody gets that in any event. In terms of discipline, that's a th- even thornier issue. But I do think that the public has the right to know what discipline has been offered in different circumstances. That in most cases, in the police departments that I'm familiar with in Virginia, there is no in public information about what discipline has been meted out in particular circumstances, unless the officers are fired. And frequently, and in Fairfax County, in the gear case that triggered this whole thing, we didn't find out till later that the officer had been fired. It was not part of the public process. And so making it a public process and then allowing the civilian review panel to react to the discipline as inappropriate when they know what it is, that that I think is is how they should be involved in discipline. So you're a yes on subpoena power and a maybe on disciplinary authority with the addendum that police agencies in Virginia should be more transparent and share more stuff of what happens in, inside their walls. And I hear you on that. For every topic, not just discipline. For every topic and not just discipline. David Baker, should this new Civilian Review Board in Alexandria have the power to subpoena witnesses and documents and compel testimony? And should it have disciplinary authority to demote an officer or even fire an officer? 
if it's decided they should have subpoena power, my, my, my answer at this moment would be that they have limited subpoena power, that, that the parameters are carefully laid out. And on the discipline, I actually think the discipline should remain with the chief of police, but that the chief should be able to explain this discipline to the uh, review panel and that the discipline imposed should be made public. Great. Any other final thoughts? I thought this was a great conversation. Thanks for including me. I agree. I learned a lot in the process. David, thank you. I did too. I feel like we were just getting started. I feel like we almost needed a rapid fire of many other issues that we didn't cover. But I think this speaks to, I mean, it speaks to why, you know, we've had one conversation in October, but we couldn't just stop there. There's so many questions and so many things still left to be figured out. And really just appreciate both of you coming on and raising what some of those issues are so that all of us can come together and engage on this topic and really start thinking about, you know, what would it look like to make this thing successful and what would it look like for it to have the impact that we want to see so that all people can feel safe and valued and, um, you know, treated with respect in our, in our community. Thank you for listening to On the Agenda, the podcast version of Agenda Alexandria. I'm Val Hawkins, chairman of Agenda Alexandria. Given the pandemic, we know that we won't be able to meet in person every month like we have for more than 20 years. That's why we're trying new ways to reach our members like this podcast. That brings me to my request for you. Please become a member of Agenda Alexandria. Just head over to agendaalexandria.com and look for the tab that says become a member. Thanks for listening.